Howdy dream, cowboys. Welcome to the 8th episode of the Fan Driven Westworld Recap Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Westworld Season 1, Episode 8, Trace Decay, directed by Stephen Williams and written by Lisa Joy and Charles Yu. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. Did you look up the meaning of trace decay, Ryan? I did, actually. Would you like me to read the things that I wrote down? Yes. Great, because that's what I'm going to do. Trace decay is a reference to the psychological theory that memory leaves some type of trace, a physical or chemical change within the brain that begins to decay over time. That's what I, that's, that's, that's what I wrote. Yeah, I, I think I, I read the same page, but I see how that how that relates to the overarching theme of the whole show. Not so much this episode, since this episode was kind of about remembering, but whatever. This episode was about long monologues, two by Hopkins, one by Ed Harris. Just pass out the Emmys now, why don't you? Maybe we should talk about that. A lot of actors got nominated for Emmys from Westworld, didn't they? Fandy Newton got nominated, Evan Rachel Wood got nominated, I believe they put in for James Marsden, but he didn't get nominated, which, like, I'm actually fine with, because I think there there are, in my opinion, there are four actors who should probably be nominated, and they all got it, so, it's fine, <laughs> I'm fine with it. That's kind of steep competition between Dolores and Maeve just in this show. Both those parts are acted so well. I I couldn't really say who does a better job. I think it's Dolores, but that's just me. And that's not because I think Evan Rachel Wood is better than Thandie Newton. I just like Dolores more than I like Maeve. (laughs) We'll get into it. By the way, I've done that joke about four straight times now, and it's not going to stop. This episode was directed by Stephen Williams, a Canadian TV director. Not that he does Canadian TV, or or maybe he does. He's only directed Degrassi episodes. But he's from Canada, but he directed a ton of episodes of Lost, and a few episodes of Person of Interest, and then like one or two episodes from tons of TV shows. Yeah, and the comparisons with Lost are becoming more and more clear with Westworld. It's a very uh, detail-oriented show that twists and turns and kind of takes things that you think are going to happen and then is like, nope, idiot, you were so far off. So Stephen Williams is uh, being a co-executive producer of Lost for such a long period of time and directing like, it was like 26 episodes of it. He has a full understanding of gigantic worlds and how to manage them. And uh, I think he did a pretty good job, especially in an episode with so much talking. And I love how this is just like the person of interest reunion party (laughs) this whole first season. I know. Person of interest is, as I think we've said earlier, it's just like it was the pilot project for Westworld. It's like, okay, if you worked on person of interest, it's basically the AAA where the major leagues is Westworld. And I do want to add that this is written by Lisa Joy and Charles Yu. Charles Yu is a writer whose brother, his name is Kelvin Yu, is a writer on Bob's Burgers. And they literally had uh, episodes air in the same night that they wrote. So it was like the Yu Brothers uh, family radio last night. And uh, it was pretty fun. Episode 8 begins with Ford down in the basement with Bernard. Maybe this is just moments after the end of episode 7. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's talking to Bernard like they talk to all the other hosts. And Bernard's like, oh, God, Teresa's dead. I'm very sad about that. Also, um, in I, I ha- why did you make me do that? I have many questions for you. Right. As Bernard's kind of lamenting everything that happened at the end of the last episode, Ford is just marveling at the emotional response. He's like, oh, look what we've done, Bernard. You and I have really succeeded together making the robot's emotions seem real. Look how real your emotions are feeling. He's being so condescending. Like, isn't your pain awesome, man? High five, dude. Your pain's dope. 
Ford says that he built Bernard to help him perfect host behavior and that they finally succeeded. When Bernard asks why Ford had him kill the woman that he loved, Ford just responds that her death was necessary to preserve what they built together here at the park and then also to achieve his ultimate goal, which he does not elaborate on. Right, so he uses the price of business excuse. Like, I don't know, just had to happen. Bigger plan, man. Things we're not telling you. Other vague sentences. And then he mentions his bigger plan, which the audience is supposed to go in that moment. Hey, what what is the bigger plan? Question mark. To which uh, I believe I think we'll probably cover a bit in the theory section later as to what Delos's big plan is and what we think Robert Ford's big plan is. We were talking a little bit before this recording, and you had mentioned that the specifically the words that he used, this dominion that I will attain, is actually a reference to a classical work of literature. Yeah, it is ex- like a straight-up line from Frankenstein, which, I mean, it's not hard to make that comparison. Uh, it's kind of like the Alice in Wonderland comparison. It's like, yeah, that makes complete sense. And I really do enjoy... There are a lot of just straight-up lifted lines from classical literature in this show, and it's sort of stealing, but also really cool. Bernard attempts to attack Ford, saying he's going to burn this whole park to the ground, but he's not able to. Ford compares him to Arnold, who he said was also not able to stop him. Bernard's mad, man. And yeah, he's you're not the first man to threaten me. Which he said, man, you have to ask yourself, you know, is Dr. Robert Ford a robot? We, we still don't know that. Because, I mean, if they're, if the Arnold sla- uh, equals Bernard theory is true, then there is a robot Arnold. It stands to reason that there could also be a robot Ford. And if there is robot Ford, he's trying to chase the singularity and have the robots be the master race throughout all of this espionage and etc., And if he is a man, then he just said, not the first man to threaten me, and that is a red herring line, and nothing should be thought into it. Ford then commands Bernard to destroy all physical and digital evidence of his relationship with Teresa, and he promises that afterwards he'll delete all his memories so that Bernard won't have to live on in all this sadness and grief. Because he's so nice. Just the nicest. I'll delete all your memories, dude, because I'm a benevolent god. And you're like, geez, dude, pat yourself on the back, you psychopath. Yeah, he gets up, he's about to attack him, and then Dr. Robert Ford is basically like, you aren't going to do shit, dude, I'm God. And what you're now actually going to do is be the perfect cleanup man. He's Harvey Keitel from Pulp Fiction. He comes in and is the smartest cleanup man of all time, and with a stolid face on and no emotional backbone whatsoever, does a perfect job of cleaning up his murder file and or the the murdering that he's been doing because um Dr. Ford made him that way to be a perfect dude who just cleans up after Dr. Robert Ford's murders the implications of all this are that they're going to go public with the Teresa is dead thing so they're not going to replace her with a robot clone like you and I and everyone on the internet had predicted everybody Everybody thought that was Teresa being made in that basement. That was the the easiest conclusion everybody made. Everybody went straight there like, I mean, this is obvious. I think we said it was obvious. In fact, I know we did. And right when uh, they were like, nah, Teresa's dead, idiot. I was like, oh, good. This show can surprise me. That is really fun. But who's being made in that basement? Question mark. Although I think that is answered in this episode as well. And we'll get there. In the Sweetwater Saloon, Maeve meets the new clementine hashtag not my clementine was trending last night she's a blonde imposter i want my old clementine back best name she says all the same things but she looks completely different and to her oh this is my old friend mave but mave uh treats her quite coolly Maeve is tripping out because she knows, dude. Also, the player piano is playing a song. Do you know which one it is, James? At this point, was it The House of the Rising Sun? Yeah, by the animals. It was amazing. I I don't even care that it's a gimmick anymore. I like it. Hey, and I actually opened one of the episodes with an instrumental version of The House of the Rising Sun. 
So, uh, Raymond Jwadi and me, we're pretty much uh, kindred spirits. Call me, man, if you want me to work on season two. Let me know. James is basically more prophet than man, so. While hanging out with fake Clementine, she flashes back to her old plotline with her daughter. In the lab later on, she questions Sylvester and Felix about these flashbacks, but then decides, basically, that all of her attachments are meaningless and no longer matter to her, and she's just got to put it all behind her and leave. Right, she's a superhero. She wants to be an even bigger superhero because that's the way that she gets out. She, in this scene, uh, tells us that in every robot's spine... In vertebrae C6, there is a explosive that be- can be sent off, and it's the ultimate failsafe. So every robot has an explosive, and the, the, she'll need a basically a full rebuild to erase all the things that will keep her there. And then they're like, "Yeah, also you'll need an army." And she's like, "That's a good point, idiots. Thank you for saying that. I agree." And you know where there is one? In cold storage right now. I If she does not get purposely put into cold storage to just wake up and be like, hey, because, you know, she is Professor X at this point. I'm just going to keep start calling Maeve Profe- Professor X. Is that fine with you, James? Yeah, that's funny. And actually, it reminds me how, uh, sorry to bring up Game of Thrones all the time, a lot of people were referring to Arya as Wolverine in the last season since she was so invincible. Right, exactly. I, I'm saying that because Maeve is absolutely overpowered, invincible, cannot die right now. Almost to an annoying standard. Actually, not almost. To an annoying standard. Uh, and uh, actually, can we dive into this one right here? Uh, I, I would like to really fast. So out of all the storylines in this moment, especially from this episode, I think my favorite one is the Man in Black storyline, just because it's the amount, the it's the where we're getting the most information. Ford storyline is always amazing, but the Man in Black's one was, I think, was set up this episode. But more and more, as I've been saying in the past few episodes, Maeve's storyline has a flimsy foundation. Maeve is so overpowered that it's almost not fun to watch her. The Felix thing that comes later we'll absolutely get into, but was weird. The Sylvester thing we called 100%. This is basically now just a teaser for what I'm going to talk about in 20 minutes. But I guess I'll lay the foundation of this right now, that Maeve's storyline is just... It just feels a little off. I like the Maeve storyline. I will admit, everything seems to be going down, like, pretty easily. (laughs) And Felix is just the world's most manipulatable man apparently yeah he's the stupidest both of them are so sylvester and felix both of them are dumb dumb cats they're both cats and they're both real dumb and they're gonna get everybody murdered you know unless mave is a robert ford plant which at this point anybody could so that's that's just a whole other part like that whole if honestly at this point i hope she's a robert ford plant it would make this storyline better William and Dolores continue on their journey to the maze. They come across some victims of the ghost nation, one of whom, a young man, is still alive. And Dolores knows where she is. And when she walks up to the robot, she's like, William, give me the water. I need to help him. And you could see William's face for a moment like, uh, this water is important for me. I'm a real human. We probably shouldn't give it to the robot, but you're really adamant and crying. Oh, okay, okay. And he just gives it to her. He just kind of gives up. He's like, well, here's this thing that I need to live. Hope. Okay, thanks. Dang it. This host survivor was part of a Confederales ambush. They were waiting for the two of them, Lawrence, to come by so they could get the drop on them. When Dolores goes to fetch the water... She has a strange vision of her own floating corpse in the river, and William and the other corpses have disappeared. Right. In that moment, you get the feeling as she's walking away down to the river to get more water, that William is looking at this robot who just took some water, which kind of let him know that, you know, what Logan's been saying this whole time, this is a robot, not a real person. It does not have the same value that you do. And then it reminded me of the pilot episode of House of Cards, where the first thing that happens in that 
uh, series. I'm not going to tell you spoilers, but the first thing that happens is the way that they tell you the main character is ruthless is that there's a dog that was hit by a car and while everyone's trying to go get help, the main character puts the dog out of its misery to let you know that, one, main character is a badass, but two, he also is a little bit of a sociopath. And when Dora Dolores sees the dead, her dead body, her own dead body in the clothes that she's wearing in the river, it's kind of like telling her that something bad is happening behind her, and when she gets back, the robot has passed on. Yeah, sorry, no-name robot. William almost definitely murdered you while Dolores was gone. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Damn. Oh, yeah, man. That's what I'm saying. He put him down. Right, and that has implications for something we'll get into a little bit later on. Yeah, teasing. Ford, Charlotte, and Stubbs are examining Teresa's corpse. What? Yeah. Apparently, she was found in the same spot as the stray with a transmitter uh, on her person somewhere. Wow, how convenient. Yeah, this is <laughs> the LAPD definitely planted that transmitter on her. As, you, as, you, as you're saying all of these uh, things just now, I'd like everyone to just keep, see, keep telling themselves, gosh, that's convenient. Stubb states that she must have slipped and died accidentally while trying to transmit information out of the park, but Charlotte Hale is not buying it. Ford says that he knows the demonstration yesterday was a hoax, and that, combined with this, proves Teresa was a traitor, and so, subsequently, he'll be reining in Quality Assurance's authority, and he'll be reinstating Bernard. And she's like, and Charlotte Hale has the face of like, your biggest enemy was just found dead. Isn't that really weird? And and Ford is like, yes, that is really weird. Also, just, you know, while we're on the subject, I guess this, oddly enough, kind of says that she was wrong about Bernard. So I should get him back, right? <laughs> also, on a side note, that Clementine thing, not a big deal. I uh, I fixed it. So old Clementine is fine. You can go find her. I found out what the problem was. I'm a god. So, uh, you know, everything's sort of just going perfectly for me. And uh, Charlotte Hale, do not worry. I have everything under control. Sinister look. <laughs> yeah, I love this setup for the crime, though. It's like so blatant. It's like, oh, she slipped and fell while committing an obvious case of industrial sabotage against me you can you can see charlotte hale every word she's saying she's saying out of gritted teeth like yeah dude okay oh i'm getting so boned down in the lab sylvester is panicking because he knows the administrations are worked up with their investigation Maeve, having researched her own code has discovered some kind of innate dormant abilities and she's also become aware of the existence of Arnold. Yeah, she's like, who Ar- who's Arnold? And they're like, well, yeah, we don't know. We should maybe know, but we, we don't. And then Sylvester, you know, is saying what I think the audience has been saying this whole time, which is, when we put her out, we just need to brick her. We need to turn her into nothingness, wipe her completely clean, and have all of this nightmare scenario, both the storyline and what's actually happening to them, Stop. Right. Sylvester tells Maeve that him and Felix have reached the limit of what they in their department are able to change with her. And she agrees. (laughs) Yeah. And she would need to go to the behavior section to do this kind of modification that she's talking about. Arguing privately with Felix about what to do. Sylvester says what you just said, which is that this is a great chance to get rid of Maeve for good. But Felix is not into it. So before they start wheeling her out, she does and kind of puts to like, not actual, but like metaphorically puts two fingers to her eyes and then two fingers towards Sylvester like, hey, I'm watching you, bud. But at this point, you're like, Felix is not that insane. Is he? Is he? I just think Sylvester uh, should have put more time into building a rapport with Felix, because now it's really stabbing him in the back that he didn't. Or the neck. Oh. Which, by the way, we totes called, but 
Whatever, dog. <laughs> While traveling to the maze themselves, Teddy and the man in black discuss how Teddy is destined to always be a loser, which causes Teddy to flash back to the men in black's attack on Dolores' house during episode one, where he also called Teddy a loser. Teddy has that future sight now that Dolores has had for a little while. It's not as good as Dolores' is because he's only getting shards of his past instead of actual full scenes. But he does remember something that the man in black says to him. But not all of it. Not enough where his behavior right now towards the man in black will change. And then they come across a massacre of sorts. Right, they come across a... A group of dead hosts and one surviving female host who the man in black instantly recognizes. Yeah, so this blonde lady is the same blonde lady who said hi to William right off the train when he first got to Westworld. And the man in black in this moment says something like, oh, they've reprogrammed you. And he feels he has a nostalgic look on his face because he hasn't seen this one in a little while. Perhaps since she said hi to him coming in the park, the man in black equals William thing is it's, at this point. Although the Teresa thing just did this to me where we thought something for sure. And then they were like, no. And if they do that with the man in black equals William, then it will be huge. It will be absolutely gigantic if that was a red herring the whole time. Because at this point, there's so much mounting evidence. It's un- It's just, it, we just... You just have to assume Man in Black is William. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty oblivious, so I didn't pick up on this. But what you're saying is the it's the same actress, the same host who welcomed William in when they first got there. And he didn't want to have sex with her because he's too much of a beta. But now... She's kind of been demoted to a normal in-the-park host, right? Yeah, and in this version, it's 30 years later, and she's been reassigned to be one of these victims. Well, one of these... She... You know, this next part, this happens. I feel like that that's a pretty bad demotion. It's like, man, I, I wish I could go back to welcoming people into the park and banging them in the dressing room. <laughs> it's basically just moving where you bang them. And then we get a quick camera move, so something important's about to happen. Right. Well, she says that they were attacked by Wyatt, and then while the men in black's kind of looking around, he gets attacked by a, a monstrous masked host. And they shoot him a bunch of times, but he doesn't go down, and he's really creepy, and he's got, like, Viking horns sticking out of his head. He was a minotaur. And does that remind you of anything, James? Yeah, it's like the Greek legend of the labyrinth. Exactly. A minotaur is literally standing in the way of the maze. It's a, a, it's a fun little callback to all of Greek tragedy. They shoot him a couple of times, but he doesn't go down. The man in black ropes him around the neck and starts dragging him on the ground, which also reminds Teddy of the time that he did that to Dolores. And so Teddy kills this crazy minotaur host with an axe, and then he... Then he pistol whips the man in black and knocks him out. Teddy levels up once more. Felix and Sylvester wheel Maeve into a behavioral lab. And as part of the upgrade that they're doing, they need to shut her down. As they're about to shut her down, Maeve looks over at Sylvester just like, Hey, I'm watching you, dude. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. And the minute she's under, he does the obvious thing, which is like, okay, let's brick this bitch. Yeah, before she goes down, she says, good luck, Sylvester. Which, if I were him, I'd be like, she, she knows, Good man. luck with what? Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> You're really mean to me. My life sucks because of you. And then Felix's finger hovers over the reformat button. Will he or will he not reformat Maeve? Yeah, and then it cuts out. If I was Sylvester, I would I would ask to watch him do this. Yeah, be like be over his shoulder at least. He, the, Felix is not to be trusted. Or it's why don't you just do it, Sylvester? What are you lazy? You're too lazy to hit the reformat button yourself. Yeah, I have carpal tunnel. Lee is interviewing a cannibal host in his office, assumed to be Wyatt. I don't think it is. He's too fat to be Wyatt. In fact, I remember Wyatt. Remember, we saw Wyatt once, and he was a skinny dude. 
Charlotte Hale enters to talk about Teresa, who Lee is very clearly not grieving, not upset about. No, and by the way, uh, as he's talking to the cannibal, I thought, this kind of looks like, like Lee and the Cannibal, a new musical this season on Broadway. Lee says that Teresa apparently wasn't a very good team player because of all of the espionage she was doing. And Charlotte will say anything to get ahead, yo. <laughs> Charlotte replies that everything she did was part of Delos's plans. Yeah, Charlotte Hale is Team Teresa. Lee's in a much better mood in this episode because he thinks that he's currently working on Ford's new storyline. And Charlotte tells him that that's just a trick and it's just to keep him busy and that he's not talking to the real Wyatt. This is all just a ruse. Yeah, you just got a bunch of busy work from God. How does that make you feel? Like an idiot? I bet it does. But she tells him that she has a real job in mind for him, and he follows her out the door because he's totally into her. Hail V. Ford, 2016. But, uh, you know, Felix and Maeve only had, like, one scene where they were nice to each other before Maeve started threatening him with death. At least Charlotte and Lee had some nice flirting rapport, and then Charlotte didn't fire him when he peed on the map, so, like, they kind of have a nice thing going, so I can imagine him just following her out the door. It's more believable. But you can say that exact thing, like, you can say that exact thing this way. Charlotte Hale was honeypotting Lee Sizemore, and then he pissed on the map, so now, instead of firing him, she's just blackmailing him into doing anything that she wants him to do, although he doesn't even know that it's blackmail, because he is being tricked by Ford. He's just a dumb dummy who's doing whatever Charlotte Hale and Robert Ford wants him to do, and now he's a little pawn in the Hale v. Ford game. Good luck, bro. While having a discussion about how Sylvester's plan to reformat Maeve has just saved him and Felix, Maeve suddenly wakes up. Bye, Sylvester. She points out that he he's a bad person and that Felix isn't so callous and is, isn't able to just kill someone like that. Yeah, he's Felix is treating, obviously, treating Maeve like a big bird that, you know, he was making that bird in the in the beginning he was a bird person and now he's treating Maeve like his big bird who he really likes and apparently won't hurt at all he's completely whipped and he'll do anything that Maeve says which spells like you know awfulness for the human race and then Maeve does something I think was predictable and stabs Sylvester in the neck which we called we literally called that she would do that. Yeah, I think your exact words were stab in the neck and Sylvester. Yeah, it was. And then that literally did happen. And then I was like, bye, Sylvester, bye. But then they basically Star trekked him back to life. Yeah, Felix uses this strange medical tool to kind of like sear and, and bring the, the cut parts of his neck back together, which looked really painful. It looked super painful, but it looked like a soldering gun for skin and basically saved Sylvester. Like, and because Maeve said, we need him. And I was like, we do we though? Do we really need him? You're a super, you're Professor X. Okay, then we need Sylvester. Great. And if I'm Felix, I'm like, oh, okay, it's we. We're partners. We're both in on this. What, what do I get out of this at the end of the day? Like, when Maeve escapes? You get. You get nothing, man. You're going to die. Everyone's going to die. And also, Maeve is probably going to have you put her into cold storage to wake all those people up. Uh, it's got to... Gosh. Ah, this storyline, dude. <laughs> but in this exchange at some point, before cutting Sylvester's throat, she says that she's now awakened all of these new abilities that she's got. Which she demonstrates the next day when she's down in the saloon... She is able to mind control the bartender into clearing her bar tab and mind control them out of the room before Hector comes to do his massacre. Do you know what song is on the player piano here? I did not. No, me either. There's another song on the player piano here. (laughs) Yeah, if you recognize Um, that song, tweet us. Yeah, the second song on the player piano. Let us know what it is. Uh, Maeve is backing her loop. Hashtag not my Clementine Pennyfeather best name. Blonde Clementine is still here. A lot of people were saying on the internets. In fact, the thing that was mostly said about Blonde Clementine was that she was, quote, hotter than the other one. 
which is just a weird thing to say. Uh, I think they're both physically attractive human beings, and I don't like change. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe she is. I kind of you prefer, feel. I, pre- I feel fine. <laughs> yeah, I I I prefer classic Clementine. I think. But you're fine with the blonde Clementine. You'll live. I mean, I don't think she'll live. <laughs> Maeve's not going to let her just be Clementine. That's a good call. I, and old Clementine might not let her be new Cle- new Clementine. I would like to see Clementine be Clementine. It's just, it's this is there are a few battles being set up, and uh, we saw old Clementine fight last time. And I don't know if new Clementine has nails or not. Or, like, a shiv, but she's going to need it because old Clementine can brawl. Maeve has more violent flashbacks this time about the man in black attacking her and her daughter. Which we assume actually did happen, and it was before Maeve was the mistress lady. And why would the man in black do that? At that at this point, we kind of get that the man in black is not the bad guy in fact, at this, it feels like Robert Ford is the bad guy and Man in Black is the good guy. But this is that one part of the Man in Black's backstory where he shot an innocent woman and her daughter for no reason. And you're like, why? Hector and his outlaw gang arrive in town for their regular, like, Friday night massacre. I, it seems like it's a regular thing. Yeah, but this time it's going to be different. Before the shootout can commence properly, Maeve is commanding the lawmen to either stand down or to kill themselves, and so Hector's robbery, unopposed, goes off without a hitch. And Hector recognizes what Maeve had done for him and nods his cap. He's a robot who doesn't understand what just happened. He's like, this is way easier, and Maeve did it, but I don't know why, and whatever, tip of my cap to you. Our mistress also recognizes what has just happened and goes like, that was weird, but okay. In the background is uh, the Russian State Symphony Orchestra, I think it is. Um, like Just more classical music. The first time it was uh, uh, painted black, wasn't it? Yeah. And now it's it goes from painted black, and now it's just full-on orchestra music all the time behind this scene. Um, and Maeve just tells everyone to be God-fearing citizens. Our missus is like, uh, okay, cool, and shoots everybody. And... The marshals shoot at each other. She's being very, very helpful. For Hector, her best friend. She basically has her own Dr. Robert Ford powers now. Like, Ford can do it without saying anything. She's maybe just like a step below that. She still has to say it, at least. Yeah, and Dr. Robert Ford is not... Or, like, how does Dr. Robert Ford do that? You know what I mean? It, it, we have still haven't answered that question from the time where all of those robots stopped in the field all of a sudden because Dr. Robert Ford thought it. You know, you have to assume that he has some sort of implant that allows him to do that, or he's a robot too, like Maeve is. So, who knows? I don't know. Down in the basement, Ford and Bernard are having what seems to be like a strategy meeting of sorts. Ford asks Bernard what it's like to be a self-aware host. Bernard says that he can easily comprehend his situation, but that he wants to know if his painful, tragic backstory really happened to him. Did he did he really lose his son and then divorce his wife and become alone? And Ford says that no, none of that happened. Yeah, and then he asks, Bernard asks Ford, what's the difference between my pain and yours? Is my pain real? And Ford says, you know, that was the question that consumed Arnold and drove him mad, and I think the answer is obvious, which uh, I think audience is like, we don't agree, please tell us. He said there's no point to where we define consciousness, it doesn't exist. We all live in loops in real life, and we're all very content about it. That's the sad part. You all, the robots, having no defined consciousness is, as he's been saying over and over again, he said this a few times now, where he's just like, having consciousness is the bummer, and not having it is way, way better. So, we're you're fine. Right, he compares humans and hosts, and he says consciousness is just an illusion, and that there is no real difference. And if that's the case, then Ford isn't just a god over hosts, he's a god over men as well, if, if we're all the same. Yeah, and something a robot might say, I I, I don't know, I'm, I'm on this Ford is robot thing a lot today, but 
It would be neat. Also, it would be neat if he wasn't. Either both ways, honestly. His character is great. Before being reset, Bernard asks if he's ever been forced to hurt anyone before like this. Oh. Ford tells him no, but Bernard recalls strangling Elsie in the theater. Oh, I was so sure it was Stubbs. They like were set up as a duo. I was so sure Stubbs was, was going to be like, it was going to cut to him being like, shh, be quiet. You can't just be telling people you're out here. I know it too. Everyone knows it. We are now on the secret squad to figure everything out. Stubbs and Elsie forever. But no, <laughs> Bernard just murdered her. And that's awful. Because I loved Elsie. She used the F word in such amazing ways. Bernard had to kill both Teresa and Elsie, two of his friends. So uh, Ford is even more of a dick. Ford knew what Elsie was doing the whole time, had her murdered. So assume that it's basically Ford. Think of it this way. Ford just put a gun to Elsie and Teresa's head and pulled the trigger. And you have to assume now that because he scapegoated Teresa and isn't remaking her in the basement, perhaps he's remaking Elsie in the basement because he's still using the she's on leave thing. (sighs) He killed one of my favorite characters, but I assume she's going to come back as a robot. But I, you know, (laughs) who knows? Dolores and William find a small village on the riverbank, and Dolores says that she's finally home. It's a deserted ghost town, but in Dolores' memory, it's bustling with life. And in a prolonged flashback, we see the early days of the park, including that kind of dancing scene from a flashback that Ford had had when he was talking about Arnold. She comes across Lawrence's daughter, and that's when her vision takes a dark turn... She sees another version of herself killing everyone in the town and then turning the gun on herself. So a few things. Number one, right before Dolores goes into her fugue and sees herself doing a bunch of bad things, probably a flashback of what the critical failure was, Maeve was dancing. Did you hear him? one of the guys say, you're doing a great job, Maeve? Yeah, I did hear that. And then there's also... a. Uh... Was it a never-before-seen tech? A young girl was, like, walking around instructing people? I think so, maybe. But, I mean, it's, uh, again, adding on to the two timelines theory. This is Maeve way in the past before she was anything other than uh, just a lady who maybe dances in this town square. But it also means that she was at the critical failure, probably. And as the church bell rings, this is all very familiar to Dolores... She's seen it many times, and she perhaps has found what she was looking for. And then two large explosions happen, and or boom-booms. It just sounded like boom, boom. Oh no, everything's going badly. And when her vision ends, she's standing in front of the black church steeple, the one from episode two, and she's about to shoot herself the way that evil Dolores had in her vision when William stops her. And as she comes out of it, she asks a lot of very good questions. Where are we? We're here together? Is what William says. He's like, and then she says, when are we? Is this now? And then I wrote, LOL, that's what we're all thinking. That is me in real life, 100%. When are we? Good question. Yeah, Dolores is having an existential breakdown. William thinks that they should leave because this is a bad place for her. Dolores says that she thinks this is where Arnold wanted her to be so she could remember, but William pulls her away. Yeah, he doesn't allow her to get fully immersed in what Arnold wants, basically probably saving the world in that moment. And then William's like, we gotta get you back to Sweetwater, man. Everything that happens out here to you is just the worst. And then they see a bunch of horses coming towards them, and they're like, maybe this will be helpful. And then they see it's Logan, and they're like, Nope. Yeah, that night they're walking around. They get stopped by Logan and a cadre of soldiers. Logan smiles and says, Oh, you're both fucked. I I think Logan's going to die. I think William's going to kill him. In the deep, deep sub-basements, Charlotte and Lee are walking through the crowd of decommissioned hosts. Charlotte says she's going to upload some secret data 
onto one of the decommissioned hosts. Coincidentally, it's Peter Abernathy from episode one. Is it a coincidence, though? Yeah, e- either it is or it isn't. Yeah, those are those are the two possibilities. Lee asks what this data is. Apparently, it's on a need-to-know basis, but she's going to use his help to smuggle this host and this data out of the park. Lee asks how he's going to do that, and she's like, oh, you're a writer. Write some situation where that works out. Peter in the real world 2016. Peter Abernathy's about to break out. And he's, as you might recall, the amazing actor from episode one who sat toe-to-toe, bare naked with Anthony Hopkins, quoting Shakespeare and ruining every other supporting actor whatever's chance on winning what should be every award. They just walk up to him. Charlotte Hale picks him uh, randomly, which is, you know, not feeling not random at all. If she is a, uh, a Ford plant, then that is something maybe that she would do but also if she's not a fort plant that is something maybe she would do because if she has any inside knowledge as to uh what robots around here want robert ford dead a number one is old peter abernathy and she just turned him on and if old peter abernathy is on team hale v team ford i'm all for it In the lab somewhere, Stubbs gives Bernard his condolences, saying that he actually knew him and Teresa were very close, and Stubbs is surprised to hear Bernard say that he actually hardly knew her. Yeah, no, that all got wiped, dude, sorry. Stubbs asks after Elsie, and Bernard says that she's probably just enjoying her time off. I murdered her, actually. Oh, dang, I wasn't supposed to say that. The man in black wakes up at night, his hands bound in front of a fireplace. Teddy starts beating him up, asking for info about Dolores and and about him. The man in black starts to monologue and reveals that he is, in his own words, a god, a titan of industry. And he goes on to say that his life fell apart after his wife committed suicide when she came to understand the man in black's true psychopathic nature. In an attempt to prove her wrong, he he came back, is how he puts it, he came back to the park to find his true self. He says that he was born in the park, and it's a really important thing to him, and he's been here for the past 30 years off and on, which, by the way, which matches up with William's timeline of going home and marrying Logan's sister. So, assumably, this is Logan's sister who killed herself. And then she took the wrong pills in a bath and died, I guess. But the Man in Black is currently in this park to prove to himself that maybe he was the white hat he began as and not the black hat he's turned into. But also, this brings up the fact that that one-year mark of his wife dying also lines up with Maeve being turned from who she was, just the mother of that girl who gets shot up by the man in black, to the uh, saloon keeper lady. So possibly what happened was man in black breaks into their house, shoots them just to see if he feels after his wife dies, and then they're like, okay, well, just put her somewhere else. Nothing's happened to this character for so long. She's just been dancing for 30 years. Put her in the saloon, fucking whatever. He said that after he came back to the park, he created his own storyline which involved killing Maeve and her daughter just to see how it would make him feel. Perhaps the first time he came as a black hat. I don't know. It would be interesting to see if he goes black hat right after the critical failure, if it is William, or if it was that time where he changed completely. He does kill them, but not before being stabbed in the throat by an unkillable Maeve who tries to escape with her daughter but collapses outside onto the symbol of the maze. It was in this moment that the man in black saw true humanity in a host and came to the realization that there's a deeper game to the park, and he says, Arnold's game. He basically saw sentience for one quick moment, and he's been chasing it ever since. In the Salouve, Maeve tries to leave for good and for all, but flashes back to that same man-in-black attack. That's funny. And in her confusion, 
<laughs> she slashes, thinking she's slashing out in her flashback at the man in black. She slashes and cuts new Clementine's throat. In the middle of the street, and everybody's like, oh my god, dude. So, new Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, blonde lady, new Clementine, is just dying in the street. Everyone turns to Maeve and is like, what did you do, dude? And then she's just like, oh, gotta hide. Yeah, the crowd of onlookers is quickly dispersed when Maeve starts ordering hosts to shoot everybody up. I was about to say, she messed up her own plan, or it's all going according to plan. In her room, Maeve remembers how she woke up in a panic during her repair, inconsolable after the death of her child. Ford personally comes in to reset her, but she begs not to have the memory erased, since the pain of the loss is all that she has left of her child. Quoting... We've heard that a few times. Yeah, yeah. Bernard and Dolores who have said the same thing. It sounds like we have a writer who really likes that line. Ford and by said, that, I mean both in the meta way for Jonah Nolan and for Robert Ford. Ford decides that maybe this is a good time to reassign her, perhaps to the brothel for a change of pace. And after having her memory erased, she attempts suicide anyway by this time slashing her own throat. Yeah, she comes out of it and stabs herself in the neck immediately, which I bet was pretty surprising. But they put her in the saloon anyway for this last year, and then, like, nothing's happened to her, basically. That's a joke. Everything's happened. Back in the present, the techs are converging on Maeve's location, saying that she has been marked for pickup by the behavior section. Back in the wilderness, the female host wants Teddy to kill the man in black for what he did to Maeve and her child but obviously Teddy isn't able to do it. The female host then stabs Teddy in the shoulder, saying that it's time for him to return to the fold, that Wyatt wants him back, and the episode ends with scores of hooded hosts descending on the campfire. So, the blonde was on Wyatt's side the whole time, and was lying to them. (laughs) Oh, who could have seen that coming? Although I didn't. (laughs) Teddy gained two levels or like three levels in the game the past two or three episodes but I guess he took one step back today because he just got stabbed in the shoulder and we thought he was going to die but I don't think he is going to die I think Wyatt's going to try to bring him back and be like me and you man we can do this assumably assumably in that scenario Wyatt is a real person and not Dolores like the theory we talked about earlier and then but also Teddy is not the only one seeing all these people come out and the and the lady being part of it and this grand plan coming together. The man in black is also seeing all of this and has to be thinking, wow, Ford's really putting it into this one. I wonder if the way that he's going to get out of this is like, hey, I'm a psychopath too. Let me be in your Wyatt gang. Yeah, I don't think he's just going to go GG's. You know, I think he's just... Uh, and also, he still can't die, I think. So, uh, it will be very interesting to see what the Man in Black decides to do in this moment. And it's why I said I think it's the best storyline that the show has. So, why don't we uh, read some of the tweets we got this week? We didn't get too much in the middle of this week, but then after last night's episode, boom, they really started flying in. Yeah, everybody watches the episode and then it's like, Ryan, what are our feelings? What do we all feel? To start off the uh, social section of our podcast, I'd like to say that I didn't use any of these words now, but uh, as many people who listen to the podcast know, I've been using the word disconcerting for this show a lot, and it's because the show is disconcerting. But I can't just say that every time. A few weeks ago, very lovely LJ, uh, her Twitter handle, Lauren, sent us a bunch of words, and this week's word is off-putting. And... You know what the off-putting moment of this week was when uh, Ford was like, Bernard, everything's fine, and isn't your pain the best? We're the best. Your pain's the best. And Bernard was like, I don't agree, dude. Uh, In referencing episode 7, at Snarky Desad said, If host guns only hurt hosts, why doesn't William shield Dolores from being shot in the chase with the with the confederales like when they were on the horse why didn't he put her up front and him sit in the back and then they're invincible that's a good point 
That is a good point. Although you can't just, I, I think I give William's character the benefit of the doubt. He was within a stressful situation and he can't just be thinking of all the plans. And then why didn't the Gatling gun not set off the nitro in the train? Good point. Uh, yeah. You know, even a small amount of vibration, as I understand it, can set off nitroglycerin. So, Right. That was just a mistake. We got a nice tweet from at KRMC quoting a few uh, choice Ryan lines. You just fired me. You don't get to touch my arm anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, a stranger's never quoted me on the internet before. It was neat. And then at KRRMCC, Carrie McHugh is thinking of starting her own Westworld slash Game of Thrones fan podcast, which sounds awesome to me. Yeah, man. There's about 100 at this point. 101 ain't bad. At Meows. Hello, at Westworld Ryan. Is sharing bad? Okay, so this is what happened here. So I put up a tweet to another podcast where they were asking if Dr. Robert Ford is the hero or the villain. And I said something to the effect of if Dr. Robert Ford isn't a robot chasing the singularity, uh, trying to do so faster than the man in black can stop him at this point, I'd be surprised, which is a bit of an exaggeration. I wouldn't really be surprised. There are a lot of ways that could go, but I was just trying to make a bold statement. And then I retweeted it. And because it had the word singularity in it, a bunch of Twitter accounts just follow the word singularity because I don't know why, but it's a a thing that I feel like a lot of conspiracy theorists perhaps follow the hashtag singularity on Twitter. And then um, that guy asked, can you share? And I have no idea what that means. And I'm just not going to respond. Yeah. In principle, though, no, sharing is good. Sharing is caring. Yeah, sharing is caring, dude. I think you're just trying to bait me into some weird singularity conversation that I don't want to have. No, thank you. Uh, Ryan sent out a tweet. Some say the hashtag Westworld Park could be located in Antarctica. What do you think? And this broke into a nice little conversation about climate change. (laughs) Yeah, uh, whether or not we were deniers. (laughs) I was like, oh, God, I did not want to start this. Although I think it is a solid point. If they're in the future and Antarctica is basically a, uh, a barren wasteland, and it would it would be a lot of room to put something 500 square miles, which is how big the park is, I believe. Yeah, at Roger Roper sent out a really and a gif of uh, Louis C.K. I think he's also uh, has a Westworld podcast. And then Rex Travers said, dude, climate change. Don't be a denier with Bernie Sanders. Climate change yeah, is I don't real. Want- <laughs> This is not what I wanted to talk about. I was just trying to talk about where... Because we still don't know where it is. Jonah Nolan, in a in a uh, interview, said that by the end of the season, we should be able to tell where it is. And then Lisa Joy, basically right after that sentence, was like, that I disagree. She doesn't think that you'll be able to. So Jonah Nolan thinks the audience is, is smarter than Lisa Joy does. Or Lisa Joy is just like, you don't tell them, Jonah. You think you tell them, but you don't. Because um, it could be on Mars, or it could be on Antarctica. Right, exactly. And then at have her opinions followed up with, if Antarctica is a desert, then the rest of the world is basically gone. Which is, yeah. Yeah, well, there are a lot of tr- there are a lot of changes in this world. They have a thing that just closes up wounds now from the Star Treks so they used on Sylvester's neck. A lot of things are diff. At very lovely LJ says, man, did Bernard kill Elsie too? That means she isn't a robot and I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think she might be a robot pretty soon, though. <laughs> yeah, she- uh, although <laughs> I did say that about Teresa last time and also I was wrong. She wasn't a robot at the point of her murder, but that that person being made at the time of Teresa's death may very well be Elsie. And still very sad about her murder. The evidence for that would be that, you know, they went public with the Teresa being dead thing, but they're maintaining the Elsie's on vacation lie. Maybe that's the time they need to get Elsie host up and running. And let's all be clear. When we say they, we mean one person. It's Dr. Robert Ford. The murderer. <laughs> At Johnny DeCali said, uh, responding to you, I think, Team Charlotte versus Team Ford. That's very true. I think those are the those are the two teams. You know, unless Charlotte's a robot too, working for Ford, we don't know. So many questions. I mean, I thought it was going to be Team Teresa versus Team Ford, but uh, that competition got settled well, pretty quickly. Yeah, that that one's that one's over, dude. At Todd Haberlin says the church is buried. 
I'm thinking one timeline, but Angela is playing different characters, so two timelines, mental breakdown. I think he's referring to Angela Safarian, who plays Clementine Pennyfeather, best name number one. Although, at this point, I think two or three timelines is pretty much confirmed, and so, I don't know. At Andrew Griffith, my theory is I haven't seen today's episode, so no theory. My theory okay, is no. you should watch the episode, Andy. Oh no, no, no. he that's a second he that's a second tweet after he says, I believe there are three Westworld timelines. Number one, current day with Men in Black, Teresa and Maeve, etc. Number two with William and Dolores thirty plus years ago. And then he doesn't say what the third one is. But the third one is, you know, thirty four years ago probably. So he did say something. And then we got a nice tweet from Johnny DeCali comparing how he feels about <laughs> the timelines business with a line from Spaceballs. We're at now, now. Which I think Dolores was pretty clear about when she asked where she was and when she was, very much echoing the audience sentiment. So I want to talk about the timeline thing really quick. So the Maeve thing is happening at the same time as the Man in Black thing, for sure, right? Because a year ago he killed Maeve and then she got reassigned to the saloon. Can we say that for sure? I believe so. So Maeve thing is happening at the same time as the Man in Black thing, but Maeve only started to go crazy after Dolores said to her violent ends, or these violent delights have violent ends. So then is not the Dolores thing happening at the same time as the Man in Black thing by the transitive property? Oh, God. Dolores is... If she's been wearing that same dress for 30 years, it's going to make this a lot more difficult because we we don't know. Dolores it being in different places and not being within one standard timeline at all times is what basically started this because everyone was asking, like, how is she in so many places at once and doing so many things? There has to be There has to be some version of this where she's just on multiple planes or something. I don't know. I have no idea. I still have some hope for one timeline, and that one interaction is the linchpin of my hope, because Dolores says the line to Maeve, and then that starts Maeve's transformation. Maeve goes up to the lab and sees Teresa. Teresa interacts with Stubbs, who talks about the man in black, and so that shit's happening all at once. Maeve and... The office side of shit is happening all together, and Dolores said the line to Maeve, and so maybe that's happening at the same time. Who knows? I think one timeline. Let's do it. Come on, guys. If it's one timeline, that would be an amazing twist. At this point, like, it's so straightforward to me, with all the evidence mounting, that it's at least three timelines, if not, or at least two timelines, if not three. So I think, honestly, the best twist would be that it's one. That would be actually amazing. All right, so my theory that I've got this week, I'm still holding on to my Charlotte Hale is a robot theory from last week. She, in this theory, she tested Teresa and her loyalty to Ford. Teresa failed, gets murdered. This week, she's testing Lee's loyalty to Ford. And we'll see how that goes. If Lee does put that secret data into Peter Abernathy and then does try to smuggle Peter Peter Abernathy out of the park, he'll fail and he'll get his head smashed by Bernard. But if he doesn't do all that, he'll live. Yeah, I mean, and I think he will do that. I think he's pretty malleable. And it's been shown that he'll basically say or do anything to get ahead at this point. And um, his hot boss, who has recently been honeypotting him, asks him to do something that is pretty dangerous, that we know is pretty dangerous. He doesn't really. Uh, I think he's going to do it. What about you? Do you have any theories you're holding on to? The only thing I kind of want to add is that last episode, Robert Ford said something about a blood sacrifice when he, right before he was about to kill Teresa. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. So, in that moment, I kind of remembered that he had to have been mimicking her, or mimicking that phrase from the last conversation, because blood sacrifice was something that Teresa Hale said to Teresa... Uh, no, that 
Charlotte Charlotte Hale said, sorry, God, that to Teresa, while Hector was sitting there. So you have to assume that perhaps Bernard, not Bernard, gosh, there's so many names. You have to assume that Dr. Robert Ford is just listening to what is ever said to every host. Like, if, so, in the situation where Dr. Robert Ford is a robot, this would make more sense, because he would be able to process every word said to every host at all times. And if not, he has to listen to maybe perhaps one by one. And he was listening to Hector in that moment. I don't know why. He just, he knows because he, he was, Bernard was just told where he was going. So is listening to something, anything that Bernard is hearing at any given time for sure. So he knows that Hector is up there with them. He's listening through them. He hears the blood sacrifice line. And then as Ford is monologuing about the Frankenstein dominion thing, and it sounds like the not so, you know, like the evil doctor talking about Delos and taking them down, he mentions this blood sacrifice thing again. So uh, he, he basically tells Teresa in that moment, I'm listening to everything around me, and I'm truly, truly a god. The fact that you figured out or thought that in the first episode I was at all weak was me tricking you, buddy. I'm in control here. Yeah, what a dirty old man. He was watching Charlotte bang Hector through Hector's eyes. Yeah, and he's murdered a bunch of people. He's not a hero. Or at least he's he thinks he is. You know what I mean, though? He definitely thinks he's the hero. He thinks he's doing all of this for the greater good. He thought that Arnold was the one who was wrong. He, every, he cannot be this so sure and murdery if he, di- if he thought he was wrong. You know what I mean? So the evidence for William equals man in black is just mounting up. We've got all the times that they kind of are quoting each other with, you know, you find your real self in the park. And then if, if he mercy killed that host, that's very man in black thing to do. You know, why don't we have a name for the man in black yet? That's another piece of evidence. If he was just, you know, Terrence the man in black, then we could put it to bed, <laughs> but he's probably William. Yeah. What else? I don't know. They both they both are about to be or were married. They're both basically wearing the same shirt. They both basically have the same knife. They're both white dudes. They know they're both very white. <laughs> they're both actors. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, he William is not yet a captain of industry god on earth but i guess he still has time to figure that out i think the final straw will be that he kills logan i think killing logan will be perhaps part of what happens within the the big the big showdown slash critical failure that William says, you know, or the man in black says, if they are the same person, when she, when he was talking to Dr. Robert Ford and kind of insinuated that one, Arnold did all the work and two, Dr. Ford might be a robot, that, um, that William and or the man in black saved them from the critical failure. Uh, so he was being very helpful. But one more thing I wanted to talk about was that what do you think Delos's big plan is? Because at this point, I think we've said that perhaps they're trying to get this, all this information to help, uh, or to be able to sell to countries for militaristic purposes. But it kind of feels like we're in a world without any disease or whatever. Although you do get the feeling that the outside world is full of plebs because Dr. Robert Ford previously was just like, nobody gets anything good on the outside world. The outside world is crappy because Everybody is just in their house watching Netflix and on their computer all the time because what the worst version of uh, what <laughs> David Foster Wallace talks about an in infinite jest like we've talked about before is like nobody's leaving their house anymore. They're all weak, crappy people. And they come here to like actually feel something. But Westworld slash Delos has a bigger plan than that. And personally, I think they watched that San Gernapino. Uh, that's not how to say that word. I think they watched that episode of Black Mirror, uh, Jonah Nolan did, and at the end of it went, oh, crap. If, if you don't know the San Gernapino episode, I'm not going to ruin it for you because it's wonderful. So I actually, wow, now that I think about this, 
how do I even say anything about this episode without ruining it? It's not possible. Either way, I think Dr. Robert Ford is either looking for the singularity or a way to become immortal. And uh, I think the man in black is the guy on the opposite side of that trying to stop him. Yeah, my, what do you think Delos' big plan is? My question in regards to that, this secret data they're trying to smuggle out of the park, is it data on the hosts? Is it data on the guests? Is it a combination? Is their interactions telling something? I'm not sure. Right, if it's data on the hosts, like it's like what Facebook takes in. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how to, how to sell to these people. You're right, though. I, I think perhaps, uh, if I had to guess, though, I'd say the data coming from and the intellectual property of the hosts are probably the more valuable stuff so the next week's episode is season one episode nine if we've learned anything from game of thrones episode nine is usually the big big episode of the season while they use episode 10 to set up the second season or the next season and kind of clean up what happened in episode nine so let's all get pumped up for next weekend because i think it's gonna be amazing Next week's episode is called The Well-Tempered Clavier, C-L-A-V-I-E-R. It's based on a, I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's based on a piece, a piano piece written by Bach to show the possibilities of the equal temperament tuning system, which is when you like slightly make things out of tune and it's kind of like a changed key, but it all works together anyway. So you have to take that, extrapolate it, and you know what does that have to do with Westworld? One of our fans on SoundCloud really enjoys our terrible pronunciation of French words. I'm not good at it, and we both took French and are still just awful. <laughs> the the well tempered clavier, the well the well tempered clavier. <laughs> yeah, something like that. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. It means a lot to us if you're just listening. If you want to go the extra mile, you could follow us on SoundCloud. You could follow us on Twitter. Ryan's been doing an awesome job handling our Twitter. We just surpassed 300 followers and then some this week. Yeah, come talk to me. Or you could shoot us an email, thewestworldpodcast at gmail.com. Talk to me, but longer. (laughs) And if you want to be really nice, you could leave us a nice review on iTunes. That'll help other people find us. Talk to other people about us. Yeah, and then uh, join us next week. Shoot us lots of tweets, emails, whatever, and we'll read them on the show. Yeah, man. Next week, we're going to be talking about Westworld, Season 1, Episode 9. And I'm not going to try to say this name. Well-tempered French word that I (laughs) will butcher and be made fun of for on the internet. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast.